Good morning again. I am going to run through our Advent thing. If you're new here, by the way, welcome. If you're um, tuning in online, we're going to um, continue our Advent journey here and welcome a family up here. So in case you are visiting or you weren't around, we're marching through Advent. Advent you know, means arrival. We're looking forward to the arrival of, of Christ and um, Christmas time. So today is on faith, Ruth's faith. It's hard to say fast, but um, last week we did Abraham's Hope, and so this is what we're doing. So we are going to have kiddos help. Can you guys help me? You want to help? Okay. So as we are reading through this little book called uh, The Advent Jesse Tree, you know, it's about the stump of Jesse. Jesus comes from the family of David uh, leading up to the, the Messiah. And so what is this? It's a ladder. Yeah, go ahead and hang it on the tree. That is about Jacob's ladder. Jacob had a dream one night. He slept. He put his head on a rock. That couldn't have been comfortable, huh? Uh-uh. And he had a dream that there was a ladder from heaven to earth, and from Jacob's family comes Jesus, and Jesus is the way we get to heaven. All right? Let's do the next one. This is, what, is, what does this look like? It looks like a little jacket. It's too small for you. But hang that on the tree someplace. That's Joseph's coat of many colors. Did you know Joseph had brothers? His brothers hated him because he got a special coat, and they sold him. His own brothers betrayed him, and he forgave his brothers. And Jesus' own family and people forsook him, and he forgave them. What's next? We have, we have this. I almost said what it was, but you have to tell me what you think it is. What does that look like? It, yeah, it looks like a rock. It's a stone with writing on it. Take it. It's the Ten Commandments. Oops. I'm glad it didn't break. Anyway, the Ten Commandments, it turns out God gave us uh, Ten Commandments, and it turns out nobody can follow all of them. Jesus came, and he perfectly followed all the commandments, and so we put our faith in him. And this one's easy. What is that? It's a bunch of grapes. That represents the promised land. When they, Joshua went into the promised land, it was so good. It was flowing with milk and honey and big grapes. But God's people said they didn't want it that way. They didn't want to trust God for it. So they had to walk in circles for 40 years. That's a long time. Yeah, until they learned to trust God. And through the promised land came the promised one. That was Jesus. And today we're going to talk about this. That's a piece of wheat. Hang that on the tree. And this is about Ruth and Boaz. Ruth wasn't even from God's people. No, and then God made her a good husband, and they had a son and a son and a son, and way down came Jesus. So that's what we're happy about at Christmas time, right? Good job. Now we're going to read scripture, light a candle. It. I'm reading from uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 15 through 22, and it's page 222 in the Bibles that you have under your seats. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. From, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. 
This may, thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Good job. Oh, kids are dismissed for Kids Church. Yeah. Go ahead and make your way out. Thanks, Christine, for waving me down. Um, Israel is at war against a terrorist group. Ukraine is being invaded by Russia. It's been going on for a while now. There's tension in China and Taiwan. In our culture, it's beginning to become more and more secular. There's just more and more blatant, outright sin that's celebrated. And then add on top of that, the economy's bad. Things are tight. Feeling kind of a little bit of panic build up. A little bit of stress. It's kind of enough to get us to the point of us saying, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? Where are you at in all of this? And there's a really similar thing happening in Ruth, as we look at Ruth today. Um, we're going to cover the whole book, so we're going to be kind of kind of cruising, quite frankly, but uh, if you flip back to just chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5, we get the setting for the book of Ruth. So verse 1 tells us that it's during the days when the judges judged, it's when they ruled. And this is the darkest time in Israel's history. The darkest time in his, Israel's history. If you read the book of Judges, it's Quite frankly, it's rated R. There is so much darkness. The people have utterly abandoned God. Uh, there's a phrase in Judges over and over and over again that there was no king, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. This is a dark, dark time. And then we keep reading. It's during that time that there's a famine. And typically a famine is a sign of God's judgment. And so during this famine, during a dark time in, in, in Israel's history, we pick up on this family. Uh, this family, look at verse 2, or verse 1, sorry. A man of Bethlehem and Judah uh, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. They came, or sorry, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Mahon and Chilion, uh, literally weak and sickly. These are not good names to name your children. 
John always, no offense, John. <laughs> they were Epiphrites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. And so this family, they, they leave Bethlehem, literally the house of bread, and they go to Moab seeking food during this famine. And it's there in Moab that Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. Now in this era, this age, it's a, it's a patriarchal age. And so a husband was your security. A husband was your safety. A husband was your financial income. It's the only way a woman would be safe and secure. And that husband just died. gets worse, though. She, Naomi, was left with her two sons. And they took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of other, Ruth. That's a good name. They lived here for about ten years, and then both Malhon and Chilion died. And the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And so we have Naomi, during the darkest time in Israel's history, and one of the darkest things anybody could go through is happening to her. She loses her husband. And then she loses her two sons. In ancient Near East culture and even just Eastern culture today, that mother-son relationship was a really important one. There was a survey, just kind of to point this out, a survey done a while ago of, of Eastern countries compared to American countries. And they were said, if you were in a life raft with your spouse, your children, and your mom, and you could only save one, who would you save? Americans were split about 50-50 between their spouse and their kids. In the Eastern world, though, almost 100% said they'd save their mom. And so this son-mother relationship is a really important one. And so for Naomi, her husband's been ripped away from her. Her sons have been ripped away from her. And you, you kind of got this feeling that she's going, what? Are you doing, God? Why are you doing this to me? There's no way God is at work in all of this darkness. And the story continues in verse 6. She arose with her daughters-in-law and returned from the country Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so at some point in time, the famine in Israel ends. And so, so Naomi decides to go back home. She's an Israelite, and she decides, I'm going to go back home to where I belong. The Lord's provided for me there. And Naomi does a really actually kind thing for her daughter-in-laws. She says, you don't have to come with me. There's no hope for a widow on her own. You don't have to come with me. Go back home to your families where you're going to be taken care of where you can remarry and be taken care of by a husband. It's, it's, the, it's the kind thing to do, and it's kind of the right thing to do. And so Orpah, we're told, she kind of feigns, I'm not going to go with you, and then she ends up leaving her. She goes back home. But Ruth doesn't. Orpah does the, the kind of logical thing, and Ruth doesn't. And that's where we get that speech in verse 15 that, that Brent read for us, Ruth says, uh, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, 
I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. This is marriage-level commitment that Ruth is expressing to Naomi. It's unexpected and unheard of. Ruth is throwing her lot in with Naomi, but more so she's throwing her lot in with the God of Israel. The logical choice is to go back home, find a husband who's going to take care of me, who's going to provide safety, security, and rest. But that's not what Ruth does. Ruth throws her lot in with the God of Israel and says, the God of Israel is going to take care of me. The God of Israel is going to give me safety, security, and rest. This is, this is a bold act of faith on Ruth's end to step out in this way. And so the two of them, they head back to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, we see another proclamation, a slightly different proclamation on Naomi's end. They say, is this Naomi who's come back to town? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. She says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. This is a dark time for Naomi. The way that she's interpreting these events is, the Lord is against me. The Lord's out to get me. He's testifying against me. He's dealt so harshly with me that my whole identity has changed. I'm no longer pleasant, I'm bitter. That's how much the Lord is against me. This is kind of an utterly hopeless situation. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. It feels kind of utterly hopeless. There's so much going on. How in the world is God working in this dark age? There's no way he's at work. And you're utterly hopeless. There's a tension there. How is he going to do this? What's he going to do? Is he even doing anything? We feel that tension right now, I'm sure. Ruth and Naomi do as well. And we begin to see the answer to how is God going to fix this mess in chapter 2, verse 1. How is God going to fix this mess? Here's our first hint. Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We have these two widows, no rest, no hope, no safety, no security, in Bethlehem during the barley harvest. And here's a spark of hope. Here's a worthy man. The story continues, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. 
So Ruth goes out and she's going to go glean. She's going to go pick up grain that the harvesters are leaving behind, um, that they're dropping, that they're leaving in the corners of the field. She's just going to go try to scrape by in existence. Verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And it just so happened that where Ruth goes to go scrape by an existence is in Boaz's field. It just so happened that she wandered into this worthy man's field. And it just so happened that Boaz showed up at the same time. You picking up what I'm laying down? This isn't, this isn't an accident, right? How is God going to take care of this mess? Well, here he is at work. It just so happened that Ruth ended up meeting Boaz. And then we have a scene that's almost straight out of a rom-com. Boaz is, comes to the field and he looks across the field and he goes, Who's that girl? Who is that? And his servant answers, look at verse um, 6. She says, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She's the Moabite who came from Moab. There's kind of a hint of like, she's not worth your time, boss. She's a Moabite. Don't, don't, don't mess with her. Ruth do, or Boaz doesn't care. Boaz goes up to her. You can kind of picture his palms are a little clammy. And he says, Now listen, daughter. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And so Ruth set out to find favor, and she's found it. She's found it in a noble man, a worthy man. And Boaz says, Listen, stay in my fields. If you stay in my fields, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to keep you safe. I'll make sure nobody hurts you. She's found favor. And Ruth is kind of taken aback at this. She goes, why, why have I found favor in your eyes? What, what's so special about me? And Boaz answers in chapter 2, verse 11. She says, or Boaz says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. There's two things. One, the way that you're taking care of your mother-in-law, that stands out to Boaz. And then two, the way that you left your native land to come to a new land. You left your people to come to a new people. I think what Boaz is saying here, if you remember in Genesis 12, that's the command for, for Abraham to leave his people or to leave his family and, and set out for a new land. Boaz is pointing out that Ruth has a faith like Abraham. Ruth has a faith like Abraham, and that's what's so attractive to him. I'm sure, I'm sure she was beautiful. I'm sure that's what caught his eye. But then when he found out that this is who she was, that this was her character, she's a woman of faith, that's what drew in. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that a Moabite woman is this, 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 this shining picture of, of faith like Abraham. 
And so from this point on forward, Boaz brings Ruth in. He lets her glean in his fields, and he even tells his workers to drop some extra grain for her. And then he feeds her lunch, says, come sit by me and eat part of my lunch. And she ends up going home with, uh, what does it say, around an ipa of grain, which is around six gallons, I think, from my Google search. <laughs> around six gallons of grain. So she's got a five-gallon bucket that she's, she's taking home with her of grain. That's a, that's a lot of grain. And so Naomi, or Ruth, has set out to find favor, and clearly she's found it. She's found somebody who said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you security. Why does Boaz act this way? Remember, this is during the time of the judges, when no one did what was right. They only did what was right in their own eyes. And then we have Boaz, who does what's right in God's eyes. Boaz takes the law seriously. Leviticus 19 gives us all these instructions for leaving grain behind and, and not, not getting the corners of the field so that way the poor and the needy can, can harvest some grain for themselves. With the expressed purpose at the end of, verse, or the end of chapter 19, because I, the Lord, who took you out of Egypt, am your God. Boaz remembers, even though he wasn't there, he remembers what it's like to be a sojourner, to be a foreigner. And he remembers how the Lord took care of them. And so Boaz's actions here are, are faith actions. They're actions, they're, they're kind of like gospel actions. They're faith actions. The reason Boaz is so kind to her is because he loves his God. And that love for God is pouring into a love for the foreigner. And this starts to spark some hope for the widows. Ruth just so happened to glean in the field of this Redeemer. No. God is at work here. Our story continues in verse, or chapter 3. After Ruth goes home, she talks to her mother-in-law. Um... And Naomi's really excited. Verse uh, 23 of the end of a chapter, it says, She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So about seven weeks have passed, and now we're in chapter 3. And Naomi's wheels are starting to turn. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her daughter, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that you may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, um, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, Ruth replied, all that, you will say, all that you say, I will do. So Naomi's uh, wheels start turning. She starts thinking, hey, maybe this guy's a little bit more than a friend. Maybe this could be something a little bit special here. And so he inst or she instructs Ruth to do something that seems really weird to us, to go and find Boaz while he's asleep and, 
uncover his feet. It seems just, it seems really weird, but it seems like this is the best option. Uh, it seems like just a cultural thing that it's the best option, the best way to kind of pop the question, if you will. And so verse 6, Ruth does what her mother-in-law instructs her to, kind of. Ruth goes, she finds where Boaz is, uh, where he'd eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, he went and lied down at the end of the grain, uh, heap of grain, then she came and she uncovered his feet and lied down. And about midnight, the man was startled, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So Ruth goes, she finds Boaz where he's asleep, takes the covers off his feet, and he wakes up and he's startled. Which, I mean, the picture is here just, it's the worst when you wake up and all the covers are off of you, you're freezing. Now imagine somebody's just standing at the foot of your bed. <laughs> You'd be terrified. That's, that's what's happening, kind of. So, so Ruth, is, or Boaz is startled. He goes, whoa, what, what's happening here? And he says, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. Naomi's plan was for Ruth to go and to listen to what Boaz tells her to do. Ruth goes, and she takes the initiative. She asks Boaz to marry her, to become her redeemer, to spread his wing over her, to bring her in to his safety and security. Ruth, the Moabite, the poor scavenger in the field, the servant, is asking Boaz the wealthy, probably good-looking man, Israelite. This is unheard of in this culture. This is not what you do. Everybody on the outside is saying, she's not worth it. She's not worth it, Boaz. You two don't go together. You're not of the same class. That's not what Boaz does. Boaz says, yes. He says, yes, I will become your redeemer. Yes, you are worth it. Yes, you are worthy. I will become your redeemer. He said, yes. Yay. But there's somebody else. There's another redeemer. Look at verse 12. He says, I know, I, I know it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is another redeemer nearer than I. So this idea of redeemer is kind of interesting for us too. Um, when a husband died, the wife was left without any security. And the law says that a brother or relative should marry that woman in order to take care of her. And basically how it works is the closer you were to that original man, you basically got first right to do this. And so Boaz doesn't have the right to do it first. There's somebody else. So you've got Ruth and Boaz who are in love, but there's another guy. And there's this, there's this danger that, that Ruth is going to end up in a marriage that she's not truly loved. That's the tension here. Boaz wants to redeem Ruth, wants to bring her into her, his loving care, but there's this other guy. And so what's going to happen? Boaz sends Ruth home with some grain before it's, before it's too bright out, protecting her dignity. Sends her home. Um, sends her with a gift. 
and he's going to go take care of business. And Naomi knows it. Look at verse 18. Wait until you learn how this matter turns out, for the man will not rest. He will settle this matter today. Verse, or chapter 4. Boaz goes up to the gate, and behold, the Redeemer, this other Redeemer, this other man, he remains unnamed, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down. He turned aside and sat down. Boaz gathers up some men, uh, and then he tells this Redeemer that Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling some land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you so that you could buy it in front of the presence of all these. And so Boaz tells the other Redeemer, hey, here's what's going on. Naomi's back, and there's some land up for grabs. If you want to buy it, you get first rights to it. It's yours. And this other Redeemer that stays unnamed says, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Seems like a pretty good deal. I get this land, I get to make a little bit more money. It's a win-win. And then Boaz says, but if you redeem this land, you also get Naomi as your wife. So here's the, here's the tension here. This doesn't make financial sense to buy this piece of land anymore. Because by buying this piece of land, you also bring in another mouth to feed. And you're told you're supposed to have children with this woman. So you've got another mouth to feed and then a few more mouths to feed. And then those children aren't actually your children. They belong to the dead husband. They're his children. And you have to give them a part of your inheritance. And so really this is very costly to do. It doesn't make any financial sense and you lose out on your own inheritance. And so the cost is just plain old too high for this other redeemer. He's not willing to pay it. But Boaz is. This cost doesn't make any financial sense unless you deeply love the person you're going to marry. Boaz says, you know what? It's worth it. I'm going to take the loss financially, but I end up with Ruth. And that's worth it. You're only willing to pay that cost if you love that person. And so Boaz and Ruth, they get married. Look at verse 13. Boaz took Ruth, became his wife, went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. They get married, and they have a son. Again, a patriarchal age, a husband and a son is protection. It's rest. If you remember back in verse one or chapter one, verse eight, Naomi prayed that the Lord would bring rest to Ruth. And now that prayer is answered. I don't think that's how Naomi thought this was going to turn out. That's not how she thought this prayer was going to get answered. And yet, God was constantly at work to redeem Ruth, to bring rest to Ruth. Sorry, I just got lost where I was at in my notes. <clears throat> we have all this language of it, it just so happened, and that's just not an accident. God was at work in the background. During this, this really dark time, God was at work in the background. Naomi and Ruth are left alone saying, how in the world, God, are you going to fix this? We've lost our husbands. We've lost everything. How are you going to fix it? 
God fixes it through a love story. He fixes it through a redeemer. It's beautiful, isn't it? And like any good story, there's kind of a twist ending. Look at verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so all of Israel in the time of Judges is saying, God, how are you going to fix this mess? You've promised us all these things, and yet we don't have them. How are you going to fix this? How are you going to come through? And God brings the greatest king Israel has ever had. He fixes the mess through this love story. God redeems Ruth and Naomi through a love story. He redeems Israel through this love story. And like I started with this sermon, it's, it's not very hard to see that we're in a little bit of a mess right now. And it leaves us kind of wondering, what are you doing, God? Where are you at in all this darkness? How are you going to fix this mess? Well, he already began to fix the mess. And he began to fix it through a love story. This line that began with Ruth leads to David. It leads to Jesus. It's through Ruth's simple faith that God brought about our kinsman redeemer. Jesus became human. He became our kinsman. And he was willing to pay the price that you're only willing to pay if you love. The cost doesn't make sense. The blood of Jesus, nobody pays that unless you deeply love. So how's God going to fix this? Well, he's already begun to fix it. This is what we're celebrating at Advent is the beginning of this plan to redeem all nations and all people. He came as our kinsman, he took on human flesh, and he's willing to pay the price to redeem. He brings us into his rest, and he makes us our bride. And so how does God fix this mess? It's through a love story. The story doesn't stop there either, because we know that it's still a mess. But if we turn to Revelation 19, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made himself, herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And so the love story that we've been invited in isn't over. The way that God is going to fix this mess is still through his continuing love story towards us. From Ruth and Naomi's perspective, they have no idea what's going on. They knew it was a mess, but they didn't know how God was going to fix it. And yet he was. And from our perspective, it seems that way as well. This is a mess, 
It might not seem like God is working, but he is. And we know where this thing ends. It's a wedding celebration. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, just for this beautiful love story that, that you've written in Ruth. And we thank you for the beautiful love story that, that you've brought us into. Lord, I pray that we would really just celebrate that love uh, this morning as we continue our worship uh, and music. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.